Psalm 50, you've found your place now. Let me begin to read here. And uh, I want to read down through verse 15 to open the service, the text, the message this morning. Because it all matters. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Now, notice the shift in God's message here in verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. Now, it's, this was written to Israel. It was for Israel. That is the direct interpretation of the passage, but... All things written, we're told in the New Testament, were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And when we read this this morning, we make the application that God is speaking to His people. So what does that mean to us? So verse number 8, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I've referenced this passage before. I've preached from here probably not too long ago, but boy, time flies. But I know I cannot read this without thinking of the wit of God and the almost kind of cutting truth when he calls out foolishness in our life and says, do you think that I'm impressed by how many goats and calves you bring and lay before me? Do you think that's what I'm after? Do you think I'm hungry? Do you think that I need to eat uh, a side of beef or a little mutton? If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you about it. Number one, because I'm never going to be hungry. But number two, because you do realize I own all of it. It's already mine. Not only does he own it, but I like how that he says in verse 11, I know all the fowls of the mountains. Have you ever woke up in the mountains? In any given square mile, how many birds you will hear singing in the trees? And God knows every single one of them. And he says, I know all the wild beasts of the field. It's almost like that verse that says he knows the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. Do you know God knows where every critter is this morning? He's not lost in it. He's not needing for us to help him with this. And that's the point that he's making. How many times have you heard a preacher say something like this? You might fool others. You might even fool yourself, but you will never fool God. He knows the truth about you. Well, you've heard that a lot. 
Preachers say that. Why? Because it is the truth. And people need to hear it. Well, this morning's text is a clear presentation of that truth. And this morning's message is a call to awaken you out of slumber in your vain religion. Trying to convince yourself that everything is fine. That you're doing good things for God, so why should you be concerned? I pulled down a devotional book on the Psalms this morning after I had finished my studies and my preparations, and I opened it up to this Psalm to see what it would say. And the first line of the book, the first line the writer wrote was this, Deep within the human heart resides the desire to buy God off. And I said, boom, that's it. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the problem. That, that's what this was all about right here. And in a sentence, that is precisely what God is calling out in this indictment against his people Israel. And make no mistake, this is an indictment against God's people. Now we've read through verse 15, let's look at verse 16. But unto the wicked, God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Let me, let me say that the way that we would say it today. What are you doing quoting my scriptures? What are you doing standing up and proclaiming my word before others? You don't believe it. You don't live by it. You have no claim to it. Wow. People get all hot and bothered. Now, I know preachers can do things in the flesh. You know, preachers contend with the flesh too. I'm almost beginning to be convinced that the preacher's contention with the flesh is a whole different kind of battle than most people realize. But I got to say something to you. When people say that God isn't, you know, God doesn't, you know, call people out like that and point his finger at anybody. I tell you, that's somebody that's not reading their Bible. Verse 17, he said, why, why would God say that? Why would God say you have no right to speak my word? Because verse 17, seeing thou hatest instruction and casteth my words behind thee. The word picture is there. You have no use for my word. You wad it up like trash and toss it. In other words, you stand up and you proclaim it in front of people and you speak it in front of people. When people are watching you and listening to you, you perform, you put it on. You, you show like you are a true devout follower. But when nobody's looking, you have no use for it. It's not real. Now read on. Verse 18. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. I'll come back to these verses in a moment. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. What he's doing here, he's describing this person. Why did God call him wicked? Why is he talking about his people and their offerings and all that? And then he's talking about these wicked people who are not real. And look at all the things they're doing. Well, you get wrong when you neglect God's word. When God's word is not a part of your real life, this is the result of it. This is the fruit we get. You see thieves and you agree with them. You join in with adulterers. You give your mouth to speak evil things and frame lies. You speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Not only your friends, but your family you gossip and slander about. 
Now watch verse 21. You want to talk about an indictment. These things hast thou done, and I kept silent. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such and one as thyself. This is God's summary of his indictment. You see, your problem is, you thought because, hey, life's good. Everything's okay. I ain't no problem with what I'm doing. Don't matter what the preacher says. Don't matter what, what he's preaching. I, you know, that's just preaching. And you thought, God said, you thought that because I said nothing, that somehow or another that I was just like you. You've heard me say, and I believe it is truer in this generation than it has ever been in God's age of the church. We have crafted a God after our own image. We have created a Jesus after our own image who approves of everything we do so long as it makes us happy. He's a Jesus of our own image. He's a God who clearly approves of what we do. God hasn't said anything to me about it. God didn't tell me I was wrong. And you think because he said nothing that he was in agreement. Well, I'm telling you this morning, he's saying something now. And he's been saying something. There's a prayer that I've become very fond of praying that reveals or unveils a truth which I must also constantly remember. And that is this. I will say, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear. And the truth that I have to always remember is not everybody has an ear to hear. And I have to leave God to decide between the people who, who's who, because I can't. I can't. All I can do is deliver God's message to you. That's it. That's all. And that's what I do this morning. This indictment of God against Israel is completely transferable to the church of today. But more to the point this morning, how accurately does it describe your life? You. Not your neighbor. Not your wife. Not your husband. Not your child or parent. But you. How well, how accurately does it describe you? Now, what, what exactly is the indictment this morning? It is that they have made an outward performance of appeasement. Their whole modus operandi and their whole motive was to do these things so that God would be appeased. It was to treat God as if he were some vain ruler needing to be pumped up by his subjects. It's as if God were running for the president of the United States today. And friend, Many sitting in church treat God about like they treat their presidential candidate. He's the hero of the hour. He's the savior in the moment. I say about, treat him about like their presidential candidate because some are far more attentive and dedicated to their candidate than they are the false idea of God that they hold to. And if they had to choose between the two, well... They already have. God's indictment is twofold. Number one, you have offered external performance without internal reality. Now, 
If you're a Bible reader, if you're a real follower and a student of Scripture, this is something that is dealt with from cover to cover in this book. And God is always calling His people out of that. He's always saying, come back from that. This whole psalm is come back from that. I'm not interested in your outward performance. I'm interested in you being true and real on the inside. You see, God knows better than anybody. If the inside is right, if you truly love Jesus, the outside will take care of itself. But we categorize our lives in ways that we perform outwardly when it's at church. When we're at church, we look like church people. When we do church things and church activities, we act, talk, and, you know, do church people things. But when we're away from church, we do our own thing. All of a sudden, all that, those, those rules and regulations, which is what those kind of people think of them as, all those things are out the window because now we do what we want to do. Not real. It's not real. It's not real. And you will give an account to God for that double life that you live. This song that they sung about is not... What Jesus did for us was not so that we could get up every day and decide whether or not we're going to be faithful to Him. And if you ever get a hold of the truth of what was sung about this morning, that will no longer be an option anyway. It's like saying, you know, do you think you'll love your wife today or maybe just knock her off and go look for another one? That's a stupid question. And to get up in the morning and say, well, will I be faithful to Christ today or will I just do what I want to do? That's not a question for a true follower of Jesus. The question is, Lord, what would you have me to do today? I surrender all to you today. And I need you desperately today. God's indictment's twofold. You've offered external performance without internal reality. And number two, you have neglected my word and become comfortable with ungodliness. That's what we have here. Look at verse 16. Again, but under the wicked, wicked means the wrong. Those that are wrong. That's what the word with. Somebody says, well, I'm not wicked. I don't run around with prostitutes and sell drugs and I don't go to honky-tonks and... I mean, not unless it's Christianized honky-tonk. I like that stuff, you know. Right? I don't do that stuff. I ain't wicked. No, the word wicked means wrong. And when you're not in alignment with God, you're wrong. I mean, just correct it right now. It ain't whether you agree with the preacher or not. It's about you and God. And you're wrong when you don't align with God. And he says, you've neglected my word, verse 16 and 17. You use it to your advantage, but you throw it away when it has no purpose to you. All again summarized in verse 21. You thought that I was just like you. We hear things like this all the time. People say, well, I don't have a conviction about that. Or, or they may say, you know, well, that may be the way you see it, but I don't see it that way. You might as well just look at verse 21 and say, God's talking about me. That's what you might as well say. Now, I got it. If you get a preacher that gets up and he rears back and he preaches an hour and a half on how anybody that ain't wearing a white shirt and a tie, they ain't right with God. I wouldn't even sit there and listen to that. I'd get up and walk out. There's a whole lot of hobby horse soapbox preaching going on around here that people are shouting it out over. 
And this is why we have what we have called the church today. And I wouldn't put up with that five minutes. I'd just walk out. But I'm going to tell you the whole truth. Five years ago, I might not have. I might have sat there and just said, oh, Lord. But I've reached the point I'm done with. It. Not going to do it. Grab my family up. If we was ever somewhere as a church and that kind of stuff was going on, I'd say, church, you can do what you want to do. It's between you and God. But as for my guidance as a pastor, let's, let's rally up and get out of here. I want to make another key point right up front this morning. God's not out to get you. He's not out to punish you. But you've got to understand that God is serious about this. I've said this before. My daddy was flesh and bone and human like anybody else. But you know what? I never doubted that he loved me. Even when he came for the whipping time. And when he looked at me in the eye and told me how disappointed he was in me, it hurt deeply. Now, the funny thing about that, we go through that stage of life where we kind of feel a little bit of that rising up in us like, who, does, who are they to tell me I'm wrong? Well, you know what? He never stopped loving me. He never changed his mind either. Never changed his mind about what he told me was right. And God's the same way. Yeah, it's hard. He read this morning, Revelation chapter 3, those whom I love, I rebuke. If you feel a little rebuke this morning, praise God for the rebuke. Don't buck up on God. Break, break. Give God your heart, your brokenness. God's desire is revealed in verse 14 and 15. Right in the middle of this indictment, he says, Offer to me thanksgiving. Pay your vows to me. In other words, love me like you say you do. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. You see, God really doesn't need you serving in the church. God doesn't really need your offerings. God doesn't need your Christian performance. What He actually wants is your heart. He just wants you just as you really are. Just as the unfinished, needy, broken sinner whom He, by His great love and mercy, can heal and restore and love and save. That's what God's after. God's desire is to bless His people, verse 15 says. All He wants is gratitude and heartfelt worship and lives which reflect the grace and goodness of who He is. That's what God's after. I think I said this maybe Wednesday night. God's not even after perfection in you. Oh, yes, I know Jesus said, be you perfect as your Father's. Yeah, He, he wants you to be in pursuit of it, but He knows you can't do it without Him. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He knows you're not. He's looking for you to let Him make you perfect. By the way, I never, you never heard me say this before. It's a lifetime process. Say, preacher, how close are you? I have no idea. I kind of feel how far I am from it. But I got, that's what this whole journey is about. Outward religious performance at the church house. That's what God is seeing he says, this, I want your heart, I want reality, I want truth, but what I'm getting from you is outward religious performance at the church house. That's what verse 7 through 13 is all about. It's as if God is saying, you come to church, 
You give me your offering. You fill a position in the church. You profess to be saved and to be right with me. You even stand up and quote scripture to people. But it is as Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, ye hypocrites. What an ugly word for Jesus to use. Ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, this is the key this morning. You perform a good show, but you're not real. You're like a play actor wearing a mask. That's God's indictment this morning. Friend, listen, you need to be serious about this. Is your heart near to God or far from Him? I mean, right now, yesterday, last week, what's the normal truth of your life? I walk close to Jesus or I come to church. Are you a good talker, but the truth is you have no life with God? Your worship may be nothing but vanity and traditions you hold to that prop you up as a professing Christian. But I dare to give this passage again because I want anyone who is living in a lie to come out from it and to come to Christ. In Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. He goes on to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. It's not the people lining up at the ball game this morning that are going to be saying that, by and large. It's going to be people that lived their life in church. They're going to say, but Lord, look at all we did in your name. And then he's going to break the truth to them that they never would quite get when he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't, I don't know who you are. I have no concept of what you're talking about. You know, you think Jesus ever said anything harsh, put that right at the top of the list, but can I tell you what that is? It'll be truth. And truth is painful and hurts sometimes. It'd be far better to get the truth right now than to get it in that day. I don't know about you this morning, but I wouldn't want to gamble on this. If there was an inkling in my heart that I'm not real and they ain't real to me, I wouldn't gamble on it. I wouldn't sit in the pew and wait it out so I can get to the restaurant this afternoon and forget about it. You know, that's only going to last so long and work so long. Because one day there won't be a restaurant you make it to. Preacher, are you trying to scare us? If I could, I would. Preacher, are you trying to push me? If I could, I would. I sat in my office over here this morning and my prayer was, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't shame anybody into repentance. And I can't push anybody into repentance. I can't change people. Lord, only you can. But I can preach your message. Help me to preach your message this morning. And Holy Spirit, you change people today. 
That's what I'm looking for. That's the, that's the fruit of the morning that I'm looking for. There'll be a number of people that stand before Jesus that day and hear those words. Some of them will go to Christ straight from pulpits, lost. Some of them will go straight out of the church pew. Some will go from the choir or from the Sunday school class lectern. Some will go from the mission field. Some will go out of the deacon meeting and they'll die. And they'll stand before Jesus and say, but Lord, look at all I did. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart. It's not about what we're doing. It is about being known and knowing Jesus. Like knowing him. I don't know how to make that any more plain. Not the Jesus you've made up, not the Jesus of your Sunday school class, the Jesus who sits upon the throne and will judge you one day when you die. And as much as we try to push it out of our mind and ignore it, we will die. You will die. And so long as God intends it, this world will move on and roll on and you will be forgotten. Let that sink in a minute. You're going to be forgotten. Very few people that the world remembers for very long. And usually they're either done something super duper great, like almost above human level, or they've done something super duper evil. I suppose the world will long remember the name of Hitler. And I suppose the world will long remember the name Mother Teresa. But you know, most of us will be forgotten in a generation or so. But you know what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you know him and if he knows you. Because you see, while the ages roll, that's what matters. Little empires we're working on down here, they're all facades. All that wealth and stuff we're accumulating, that name we're trying to make. You know, a lot of us, we're content to be big fish in little pond as long as people recognize how good we've done for ourselves. And it won't matter when we die. There are no doubt people in this church who serve to do God a favor. You might even say it's to honor God. People who believe that their acts of attending, of serving, of giving... Make them right with God because God is pleased with them. Well, friends, let the Bible speak to this. Verse 8, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Go ahead, heap them up. Go ahead, bring them in, heap them up. But know this, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or offer the blood of goats? You see, here's the thing, God does not need our money. God does not need our input. God does not need our service. Remember the word that God said to Job at the end of that book, Job 38, gird up now thy loins like a man. I like that. I like that God treats us like men or women. And he said, Job, stand up and look at me. Gird up your loins and listen up. Stand up like a man. For I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. 
Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare. Tell me if you have understanding. You know what Job said? Nothing. I know, I know, we do a lot of talking when we're defending ourselves. When God finally speaks and we hear, we will shut up. And that's what we need. What else does God see? He sees his word being ignored. In verse 16 and 17. The indictment here is, first of all, they're called wicked, as I said earlier, those who are wrong, those who are doing ungodly. He says, you recite, you teach, you use my word before others, but you have no right to it because you don't listen to it. You don't live by it yourself. I don't have time to read the entire scathing indictment Jesus brings against the Pharisees in Matthew 23. But it reads like a charge against modern-day fundamentalists. A culture, listen to me, because he's talking to the Pharisees and the leaders in that chapter. But you see, when the Pharisees and the leaders are wrong in the pulpit... That's what produces wrong in the pew. But what he calls out there is a culture that has created an environment that drives true believers into shallow performance of rules so that preachers will approve of them. Everybody wanted to make the Pharisee happy. As long as the Pharisee wasn't upset with you, well, that local Pharisee member, they ain't going to say anything about what they really believe because they might get kicked out of the synagogue. We have a celebrity culture in the church that makes heroes out of men. The same carnality of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We love Apollos. We love Paul. We love Peter. Who's putting up the tent this week? I want to go there. Well, if you really wanted to hear God's words, you'd go over here. And Paul said, you're carnal. You're just babes. Same ignorance of God's word and that popularity of personality that produces amening on Sunday morning and then gossiping around the dinner table on Sunday afternoon. I can't believe it. You know, church, we're all like, Woo, amen, woo, it's good. Oh, it's good, good. And then we go to lunch and we lean in. Did you hear? I'm, I'm just concerned about them. I, I think I just wanted to let you know so you could pray. I heard so-and-so's living in sin. Hey, you are living in sin, you gossiper. If I had to make a list of stuff that I've learned as a pastor in the last six years that I knew existed in church, but I never really understood how deeply. That's right up there at the top of the list. I knew people in church gossip. I knew they slander one another. I knew it because the Bible warns about it and tells us not to do it, so it's got to be going on. For all my life, I went to church and sought to serve the Lord and do the things we're supposed to do and worship and serve and go home and, man, thank God, praise God, look forward to the next time. Woo! You know? Boy, I've learned some stuff since I've become a pastor. It runs deep and wide. Deep and wide. Here's the thing about it. When we do stuff like that, which is what he addresses in verse number 19 and 20 about the gossip and the slander and the lying about your brothers, 
Do you realize that's something God hates? Proverbs 6, 19, God hates people who gossip. He hates gossip and slander. He hates those who sow discord. He despises that. I tell you, some people wouldn't have anything to talk about regarding church if it wasn't gossip, slander, and, and sowing discord. But boy, when it comes time to sing or teach or serve, we're right up there, aren't we? Looking good. Got it together. You can fool everybody else. You might even fool yourself. One day you're going to hear Jesus say, Depart from me, I never knew you. And you won't fool him. You won't fool him. May God deliver us from being followers of men more than God. May God deliver us from a false, self-serving, religious performance that appeases our conscience but dishonors God. I was reading this on Thursday when the Lord kind of welded my heart to this text for today. And after I read Psalm 50 and made my notes that morning, I, uh, I turned to another place in my reading order. And it was 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I mean, I can do nothing with that. My time's up this morning. I can do nothing with it. But I got to tell you, I read 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 that morning after I studied Psalm 50. And I said, goodness, God have mercy. When he says, you have neglected my word, and you turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and read the things that he talks about, that Paul tells the church, it's like, it don't get any more clear than that. I can't do anything with it. I can't do anything with it. I know I don't have the time for that this morning. I even thought about it as I was preparing my notes that I wouldn't have time. But I would just tell you, you ought to go read 1 Corinthians 6 and ask yourself a question, do I live like that? Is that really my philosophy? Like when somebody does me wrong, do I say, hey, let it go. Somebody does me bad, I just say, hey, you know what? It's all right. Somebody hurts me, and I just say, you know what? It's okay. You know what? It's fine. Now, I don't mean that passive kind of wishy-washy, you know, victimized, you know, and you know, you know. I'm talking about can you stand up like a man in Jesus and say, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. Or do you need revenge? Oh, I know how we get revenge. Beep. Then we get on a big one. That'll show them. Yeah, you're a real hero, you coward. May God deliver us from our petty, hurt feelings. and Help us get serious about what is serious. Now, we have God's indictment. What is God's instruction? Verse 14 and 15. I'm going to wrap this up so you can respond. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. What God desires and what God deserves is our love, our gratitude, our trust, our devotion. True worship glorifies God. Verse 23, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. True gratitude pleases God. First Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
true spiritual sacrifices are things like praise and humility and self-denial. It are things like Jesus said, whosoever will follow me, come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Take up your cross. You die on a cross. You die on a cross. You don't rear up on a cross and say, who are you? You have no right to say that about me. You have no right to think. You have no right. Die. Die, flesh. Die. And when it rises again, may God help us to strike it down again. Die, flesh. Die. That carnal side of you and me, it has no place in our walk with God. We must crucify it and mortify the deeds of the flesh so that we can walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the hope, and all that comes with it. Now, I want to say this, and I believe I have the mind of the Lord to say it this morning. What God called out, He said, this indictment against you, the reason you're doing it is because you've neglected my word, verse 16 and 17. And then He describes... The results of those who neglect His Word on down. Now, I'll just leave that standing, but I want to say this. The original problem here was the neglect of God's Word. Willful neglect. In church, I have seen, and I believe, an increase in neglect lately. I see it. I hear it. Not just here, but I do see it here. I believe I'm right in this. There has been obvious increased neglect in the things which can be seen. That would be missing church. No interest in deeper spiritual things. No involvement in outreach and ministry. I've seen an increase in that. Now, there are some that are they're plugged in and going at it hard charging. They're where they be, believe God wants them to be. They're serving where they're serving and they're making a difference and we can't do without them. And thank God for you obeying from the heart how God leads you to serve. But there are others who've completely neglected this, and it's become easier to do over the last two years. It ain't just the people that are sitting at home watching on TV or on the computer. I had a fellow tell me at, a, at the funeral I went to this week, he's talking about some folks in his church, I hope they don't ever get loosely connected to this, they might figure it out. Kind of got an idea from what he told me, they probably ain't interested but he said, I saw him somewhere, and he said, I, I told him, I said, man, I sure missed seeing y'all at church. Can't wait till y'all get back and come on back with us. And the man said, well, I, I got to tell you, I kind of enjoy it. Me and the wife get up on Sunday morning. And I can just sit there in my boxers, and she's in her nightgown, and we can just watch that live stream. And I, I tell you, I like it. That's good. You know what I bet that rascal does? If he even sits down to watch it, I bet he just sits there and sleeps through it. Nah, probably doing this. Right? You know it's true. Man, this thing right here, we can't get away from it, can we? My goodness, we can't lay it down. Not for more than five minutes if we can make it that long. I used to think it was just the young people that did that. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm almost of the mind that some of the younger ones are actually the ones that are taking some steps toward changing it. I know, I know, i got to get done, but somebody threw my watch away. But I hope you'll take this serious this morning. 
Those who miss so much church, you neglect the family. Your family and this church family. Those who neglect and who are hardly ever help with outreach and evangelism, you neglect the Great Commission. It is the thing Jesus asked and commanded His church to do. Those who show little to no interest in finding deeper life with God, you neglect the maturing of your soul. And by that you bring a difficulty on the church. You know when Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 3, you know what he said to them. He said, all this carnality, your babes in Christ, he said, I have wanted to give you so much more that will help you, but I can't. I can't. You're not ready for it. You won't receive it because you're so caught up in all this frivolous, shallow stuff. And honestly, I believe that's the heart of God for this church. I really do. I believe the heart of God for this church is I've got some stuff to unveil to you. I have some stuff to pour out on you. But until this stuff gets resolved, it's not going to happen. And so we need to get serious about this. Now, we're going to pray, but now you listen to me. God gave the answer on how to fix this in the text. I didn't read it, I realize, but what he said at the end of that Psalm 50, and this is what I'll close with, but I want you to hear God's word. The end of verse 21. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. In other words, God said, you thought that I wasn't, that I didn't care about what you were doing. You thought it was okay to come play church and it wasn't a big deal how you live otherwise. He said, now, first thing you need to do is listen because I'm about to tell you some truth. I'm about to call you out on this. Well, that's what he just did. And then he says, now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there are none to deliver. You say, well, that ain't, that ain't how God operates. Do not be a fool. Do you understand how dangerous it is to live in this world? Do you understand that if you even do belong to God, if you actually do belong to Him, do you understand how much is set against you? It ain't all just the stuff you brought in your life. There is a spiritual realm to this life that if you could see it, it would scare you to death. And there are demonic powers constantly coming against those who belong to God. Constantly pulling and desiring to bring despair in your life and to tear you apart. And God said, if you don't pay attention, you're going to see this tearing come. You're going you're to suffer. And the scary thing is some people don't even see it happening to them. He says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me unto him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. What he said was, listen, repent, and be saved. Preacher, I'm already saved. I hope you are. I hope you are, but you ain't altogether saved. You say, Preacher, I don't, I don't know if I like what you just said. Well, you should come to church more often. It wouldn't bother you because you'd hear me explain it. There's some of you here that need to get on board with what's going on around here. God wants to save those parts of you that are still unregenerate and undone. But He can't because you're playing games. You're broken. You're hurting. You're living like a foolish person, but you won't come to the one, the only one who can fix it.